0: the hard truth of Tony Schaefer, powered by Six Hour Never Settle. I had a choice of what I carried in combat. I always carry the best. I recommend you carry the best. Carry Six Hour Never Settle. Uh, we are on the America Out Loud Talk Radio Network, also available on the America Out Loud Podcast Network. Check us out, Project Sentinel, ProjectSentinel.net.com, and we're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Rumble, etc., etc., etc. And by the way, I, I, I am going to show my M11, my Six Hour M11 A1 which is one of my favorite carry weapons. I carried a very similar one in Afghanistan, which I'm going to ask our guest today about what he carried in Afghanistan. And our guest today is Pete Turner. Pete is a hey, counterintelligence special agent. So Pete, welcome to the hard truth. Pete is, uh, has several years as a counterintelligence special agent, a spy. He uh, worked in the army, which I'm a big fan of since I'm retired from there. Uh, he, he, his countries of, uh, of operations included Afghanistan, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Egypt, Germany, and Iraq. All garden spots, I might add. He is now using his extensive knowledge in geopolitics, tactical espionage, and U.S. travel to provide compelling evidence outside the typical media landscapes, which, by the way, we need a lot of uh, of, of, uh, outside of typical media landscapes information. So um, he's been uh, very extensively schooled, experienced, and he's here to join us to talk about his experience. So Pete, welcome to The Hard Truth.
1: Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. I know what it's like to run one of these things and to run around and try to keep up. So I, I, I just, it, it just makes it work. Look, I love to talk to people that have been shot at before, you know, and it just, <laughs> it, look there's reality in that, right? And and to have yeah. to deal with helping other people understand what it is to be us and also to know, like, our experiences without even working in the same area, to, to understand what that is to work under that kind of pressure either in support of or as that person. It, it means a lot to have, share air with you, man. I, right. By really, uh, right in the, in the veteran heart, but also out in the field, it's a different thing.
0: Well, I think that's what i to talk about. So one of the things we're, we're sponsored by six hours, so I don't know what you yeah. guys carried in combat, but I actually carried an M11 is what did you guys carry when you were in
1: Afghanistan? You know, I, I mean, I, I, if I carried anything, I usually carried the standard nine mil, um, but, you know, I, I didn't do a lot of um, weapon-type stuff because, I, you know, I had to go build trust with people. So I, I tried to leave my weapon on
0: post. That's a good point. You know, um, we didn't. But, I mean, only, not strike that. We did try to build trust, but I was always making sure that if I, if I went into a room, I knew that if something bad happened, I was going to be able to pull myself out. So Yeah,
1: and, I, I, yeah, and, and I, I'm, I'm trying to make a singular point about a very complex thing. And and I will tell you this: it, it, if you if you are spoiling for a fight, and I've got uh, you know a concealed carry forty calic, one of my private weapons, and you're yeah. within 120 yards, you better look out, because you might think I have a tiny little pistol, but I I can hit targets, man size targets. No, oh, I get it. Down, you know,
0: I get it. So, so that yeah. last part I want to talk about today is, is the is the the landscape. So, over the yeah. years. Um, I'd spent a lot of time actually working tactical uh, counterintelligence and human intelligence in the 80s. So I actually am older than you. And yeah. uh, m- my career uh, actually started uh, as a very young second lieutenant in the battle space of Germany back in the mid 80s. Yeah. And one of the notable things I-, I did actually pay attention to as a lieutenant, uh, besides being kind of, uh, I don't know, a bit snarky because I always get in trouble, was the fact that. I think Army broke the code. One of the notable things about the U.S. Army intelligence system, and I don't know if people understand this, is that the basic DNA of, the, of U.S. Army intelligence goes back to George Washington and the Continental Army, that many of the things that we still use to this day regarding source operations, how we tag things and code things, how we run operations, literally goes back to, the, to, to General George Washington and his personal interest in, in running spies. And I think it's a pretty cool legacy. What do you think on that?
1: The uh, It's always shocking when you think you've got something new and then you go read a book that's super old and you're like, oh, never mind. You know, this stuff just goes back a long way. You're, you're totally yeah. right about that. And just that, um, you know, because a lot of our training, look, you know this, like you can be told something and, and you trained on it, but then you go read it in a book and it's in context and, and you realize, oh man, this is how this works. You know, like the, the thing I always say is like, you know, I've got two, the four basic tasks. You know, help a commander win more, lose less, and then help the enemy lose more, win less, right? Right. I didn't make that up. I, I got that from several different books. I'm like, that's my thing. Like, I, I look over the hill. All right. I take notes, right? I go into the town. I talk to people in the town. I'm just trying to find anything out that's going to advance any one of those four quadrants. And sometimes I get lucky, and one piece of information will circle all four of those things. And, uh, and look, I don't tell the boss what to do. I just give him the information. I'll let him drive the machine, you know. And, and, and I think that, that's all of that goes back to Washington. All of
0: that. Does well, it. yeah, exactly. And I think people don't understand that that uh, the basic block and tackling of of human intelligence counterintelligence operations have not changed literally since uh, the beginning of, of our army. And yeah. let's talk about that. About that, because I think so much of what happens today on the battlefield is tainted by political. Whims and and let me let me outline that a little bit because I don't want to get you in trouble. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but my experience has been, uh, I started off in a very pure environment where our job was to figure out and discern the truth, the, the objective truth, not uh, shaded with an, an opinion. And uh, that environment required that you basically set aside your politics. You focus only on what is is knowable, and I, and what is knowable, Pete and please tell me if you think I'm wrong, yeah. It's what you can either figure out from uh, objective reality regarding what you observe, yeah. what you can develop regarding sources who you believe through vetting and other means of verification are telling you the truth. And then essentially, once you've done that, you constantly have to verify, re-verify the information coming in because you know there's deception. So yeah. your job is not only to tell the truth, it's to try to figure out what the bad guys are trying to deceive you with and uh that, that is that requires you to be essentially non political, right?
1: I, I I totally agree with that and, and you could see when people would try to question the definition of a particular word, I'm like, hey, uh, if we can't agree on this common word and what it means within this off order or whatever it is, you know, or, or what why means or whatever and, and I'm not exaggerating, like people would say, like, we're authorized to go off camp. Well, what's off camp mean? I'm like, Oh my god like you while you figure that out i'll be back i'm gonna go get to yeah. work because my job is to go find things out while you try to yeah. decide what we're allowed to do because here, here's the thing is all of that talk all of that like back and forth my job is to go go do i have unique access i have unique rules I, i'm gonna don't tell me what i'm going to do i'm going to just go get information and the second right. my information isn't valuable tune me then or for right now let me go do what I go do. And not everybody's built like that. Not not everybody in our field, there's there's like the puzzle solvers, there's the ops guys, and then there's dudes like me who can go out, and I need to be in town. And if you don't get that about me, I'll help you. I'll just be out in town, and I'll come back, I'll talk to the boss, and when the boss is like, Pete, I need you to stay on camp, then I'll stay on camp. But otherwise, yeah. I'm not going to mess with all that stuff, because my job is to go do what nobody else can go do. Can go so let's talk about that. So yeah, and, so, yeah so one yeah, of the... Go
0: ahead. Yeah. One of the notable features I've seen of our military is that even when it's expeditionary, and i'm I'm doing air quotes here yeah. because um the expeditionary military basically brings Burger King, um the px, and every other western uh, civilization uh, uh, amenity you can think of. Yeah. And so I, I you know, I used to sit there at Bogram. and you know I was there at Bagram in the early days before they built all this stuff, and we had like a little bX and Everything was still kind of a primitive. I, I would have to go to a port and it, and, you know, the crack of dawn. I lived in a GP medium, and that was, to me, expeditionary. But no, no, no. Uh, when we move in, we start building up uh, all these huts and buildings, and we want to basically uh, make wherever we're at like America. And it's like, I don't know if that's wise. I don't want to get into that so much at this minute. Yeah. But my point being is that the war is not won by how— how many barracks you can build for the troops at Bagram or somewhere else. It's, it's, it's really about how can you figure out and get inside of a term, which some people like, some people don't, the oodle loop of the enemy. So I like the term oodle loop, observe, orient, uh, decide, and act. I think that is a very elegant uh, a summary of what we have to do. So my point to you is to actually understand uh, what's going on Within the context of an adversary, any adversary, often you have to be out amongst the uh, the environment where that adversary lives, and and yeah. so staying staying hanging out at the BX, uh, drinking uh, non alcoholic beer, you're not going to get a lot of intelligence there, right, Pete?
1: Yeah, no, I, and look, uh, this is just how I do it, and and you know how our field is, it's widely diverse, it's multi it within that diversity, so. I'm talking about, like, muddy boots, tactical collection. My job is not, not to be comfortable, right? And, right? and there's people that are not – look, I'm a physical athletic dude. So, yeah, saddle me up and let me get outside. The next guy is going to be bookish. He does. He's terrified. I, if he can't go off the camp because he's paralyzed by fear, okay, great. Have him read my reports. And and to go back to what you said a few minutes ago. My reports are who, where, when, why, how, yeah. what I saw, and then what I think it means, right? You're welcome to question the last part, but the top two things, that's, that should all be facts, right? You're not allowed to question what I saw, not allowed to question what the conversation was, but the thing at the bottom, yeah, help me understand what you think all that means, right? Um, right. So that's, that's my job, to go out and go do those things. And so I don't need to eat at the McDonald's. So do I go eat a burger every now and then? Sure, but if I can go eat with the interpreters, I'm getting smarter. If I'm learning who's calling them on the phone, I'm getting smarter, so I'm not afforded the luxury to do those things in my in our field, right? I've yeah. got to go out and be amongst the people, and if I spend, I can't, I can't be like, I can't be like T. Lawrence. I can't be out all the time. So you have not relevant on the camp. You have to be on the camp right. so that you're relevant to the staff because the staff, the sergeant major, the commander, they won't understand you and they'll undermine your ability to work if you're not there. But you've got to find that balance. But but you yeah. have to be out all the time.
0: So let's talk about that a little bit because I, I want we're getting closer and I want to talk about Afghanistan here in a minute. Yeah. But to that point, um the the basic techniques, tools, techniques and procedures you and I uh, are trained to use and are common to our field and even though we have a diverse field, I've look Pete, I've known knuckleheads who go through the training and still couldn't recruit a a, a wet paper back. I mean, they literally just don't have people skills. It's like that scene in uh an, an office space. I'm a people person. I, I deal with people. And it's like, I know knuckleheads like that. I, I, I could say some names and I won't. But there's other folks who, like you, have uh, the ability to go out and talk to folks and just find things out. And it, it's right. all about, like you said, building rapport. But that skill set, the skill set we're talking about, is not necessarily something the Army, who likes reg- regimentation, right. likes things very pristine. They don't right. like a lot of ambiguity. And this yeah. is one of the things, I, I, this is a, a question for you, Pete. I don't have to know. It. So back when I went through the farm, you know, I went through Camp Perry. I have the degree up here on the wall. Yeah. One of the notable features of, of case officers, the CIA took the time to go out and do a, a global uh, study of all case officers. Right. And, they, and they basically were looking for a common a common factor. Like what does, what is the common commonality of all these very diverse people? I mean, you have some people who are eggheads, go after scientists. There's others who uh, are very seductive. You know, we have females in the field yeah. and there's others who basically, you know, basically can, can. you know, I've done everything. I was wearing a stunts Unlimited limited sweatshirt this morning for an interview that I got when I was undercover as a stunt man. I've done gray arm stuff. I've tried to steal, I've stolen airplanes and, and stolen tanks from bad guys as, as a, you know, kind of a high end thief for the country, you know, just saying, but all these, so do you know what the one common factor was? of this survey of all case officers global you want to guess i don't know being a
1: sociopath i don't
0: know idea no the the (laughs) thirst the thirst and acceptance of ambiguity living in the gray yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so that is the commonality yeah so you got to be able to deal in the gray you got to be able to deal with ambiguity and so my point to you is the military doesn't like ambiguity does it
1: no no come on (laughs) no no yeah yeah and and then you know, I'm going to go back a few minutes to the conversation, and this this took years, most of my career to figure out. You know, because the UDA loop's a fancy tool, but for me, I realized that it was DAOO. So decide, act, orient, observe, decide, act, orient, observe, and that's a small difference unless you're at the pro level. Yeah, and because people often like uh, they get bound up by that by that planning phase. I need to get out. I need to go act. And then I need to go, okay, what happened? How did I do that? And then, and then repeat that cycle. And then allows me to slow down because I'm not trying to outmaneuver a jet fighter. I have to slow right. down to the pace of what the culture is moving at. And that allowed me to, um, you know, when you're in a lot of combat, time moves differently in different situations. And, it does. and if you're trying to get inside someone's loop all the time, you tend to spin up and go too fast. Americans get too fast. And so that allowed me to go, hey, um, my job here is to slow down and to have less ego and to and have it be not at all about me. And then it would allow me to see us and go, oh, man, we are all too fast. This is valuable to the commander. This is hyper. This is all gold to the commander. Here, so here comes Tony, and I'm using you as an example. And he comes in, and he's like, my commander doesn't care what you want, Governor. My commander wants this. And I'm like, oh, no, here's a problem. Okay, that goes and I write that down. Now that's going to that's gonna make Tony upset when the boss hears that, but the boss needs to know that so the boss can go deal with Tony, because I just helped the commander realize he was losing when Tony was out, because Tony was going crazy, you know yeah. And that kind of stuff, that, that is so important. that has nothing to do with anybody blowing anybody up. and it's right. everything to do with losing them.
0: So let's talk about that. So um, one of the shared experiences we have is Afghanistan. So my time yeah. is well documented in Operation Darkheart. Heart. Uh, obviously, I was working at, at, with the tier one units doing a lot of special things. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's scenes in there with McChrystal with a guy named Lloyd Austin. You may have heard of him, you know. Yeah. By the way, did you know that he's having problems with his bladder? I, I, think, uh, I think, you know, he's given into the social pressures of the Biden administration, I think he's going through transition, Pete. I think he's because, he's he's not going to be Lloyd Austin. He's going to be Loretta Austin. I think he's going to be a girl. I think I think it's where it's going. I I, I don't want you to comment on that because I know you still have to work, but I'm just saying, uh, I think you know, there's I'll, something. I'll
1: comment on Lloyd Austin. Uh, look, uh, when you have that job, you get to be criticized because you've taken on a really hard job. And three times in that man's uh, time as secretary, of Defense, and I've I, I briefed Lloyd Austin. That's not a new thing for anybody. A lot of us have. But if you stand in front of the American people and you say, I have no idea how many Americans are in that country, nor can I defend them. It's time to hand it. It's time to offer your resignation. And then the law says, Lloyd has offered me his resignation. I'm refusing it. Those words all have to happen. And then you get to keep working. But when you fail the American people, there has to be accountability. And there is not.
0: So one. Yeah. So let's talk about this. So I've uh, uh, actually advised a number of these guys to include Austin and Crystal. I was their senior human guy during uh, the surge in late 2003, and I was in a room with them, and I was fascinated by some of the complete uh, miscalculation of the culture we'll de- we're dealing with. Now, You, your job is to go out and understand the culture, and I get that, yeah. but my problem is is this, Pete. Those guys are not willing to actually accept that maybe maybe the people we're dealing with see the world differently than we do, and, and this has been... <laughs> Yeah, so let me let me give you a, a quick lesson. So one of the people I was advising is, is a guy you probably, I don't know if you met with him or knew him, uh, General Joseph Dunford, Joe Dunford, chairman of the Joint Chiefs. He was commander of ISAF at one point. So when he was over there at, at ISAF, we, obviously I wasn't in a room with him. I was advising him from here. Um, there was an event where at at, at, uh, at Bagram, a, uh, a couple of Korans were inadvertently thrown into a fire basically they were at the BCP. I don't know if they called it the BCP where you were there, the, the Bagram collection point. Yeah. I spent a lot of time at, at the, at the BCP. Um, and basically at some point, some, these guys were writing on the Quran. So they, they basically, you know, they were. I guess you're not supposed to do that. That's fine. It's I'm not here to judge. But what happened was, you know, there was big burn pits, which by the way, a lot of us, I've actually got a disability from being exposed to them. Um, the, the burn pits, some Afghan nationals found the Korans in the fire. And of course, they reported it. So, uh, so instead of accepting that maybe that we need to look at this event through the eyes of the Afghans and of that religion, no, 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 no. We instantly assumed responsibility. Oh, it's our fault. Oh, my God, it's so terrible. We are so sorry. And the next thing you know, because we accepted responsibility, there literally... Uh, uh, riots in, in, in Kabul protesting our responsibility. So and, and so when I was in with Joe after the fact, I was in the Pentagon when he was commandant. I said, Joe, do you think you could have handled that differently as a command? He looked at me and says, well, what do you mean? It's like, did you think about trying to communicate that incident in the eyes of the, the, the Islamic faith? What do you yeah. mean? It's like, you should have said, inshallah, apparently those men who found the Quran, the Qurans in the fire, had somehow offended Allah, and this was their path to salvation. They were given an opportunity to shine in Allah. They, they It was their task. Allah assigned them a task to save those Qurans, inshallah. Not, and it's like, they that was their God. And it's like, did you consider maybe you want to communicate at the level they understand, not, not what we would project on them? Yeah. And he sat there and looked at me like, we never thought of that. No, you never thought of it because you've never actually fundamentally looked at the situation for what it is, rather than what you want it to be. So, you know, in a situation like that, you, Joe, did you did were you responsible for sticking those in in the fire? Well, no. Was an American responsible? Well, we don't know exactly. So, why do the, you then presume to say we're going to take responsibility and apologize? The moment you take responsibility, you take ownership, and you're the issue. Did you just think about the fact that maybe you could say, look, these men were, this was a gift from Allah. Go to their level of understanding of Allah and their understanding of religion and communicate at that level. And then it would have gone away. It's like, oh, yeah, that's right. These men were were tasked by Allah to do something to support their own spiritual uh, uh, development. And leave it at that. It's like, hey, good for them. They found it. So why, yeah. why do you think, Pete, that even people, and I love Joe. Joe is a close, why yeah, do you think sure. we have senior officers who don't understand the very culture we're trying to influence?
1: You know, I, I can't tell you. I, I, how come our cultural training is 125 years old? I mean, you know, we just refuse to adapt to it. I, I, I could tell you a hundred other examples when, when we feel that. And I've written professionally on our refusal to understand. You're telling me that if I get invited by an imam or some kind, you know, sheikh and uh, come to my mosque, I'm not allowed by regulation to go, you know what? I'm going to break that regulation every time. Yeah, exactly. Every time, you know, because it's an honor. And yeah. and uh, when someone was talking to me about that, I'm like, what do we do about this? And the guy said, you realize that every time the Taliban burns down a school, you know there's a Quran in every school. And I'm like, I didn't know that. And he's like, yeah. So when they say that, you point at the Taliban and say, every time the Taliban burns down a school, and, he, and this is my buddy of mine, and he's like, and he's, he's Afghan. And he's like, and by the way, Every time you guys build a school for girls, you name it the Mullah Omar School for Girls. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, And you know, you write that up, you send it up. No one reads it. You know. So, so this yeah, is you can use culture to your advantage. You know, just like um, these books are courtesy of Jay Mahdi.
0: Yeah.
1: And then Jay Mahdi has to be like, "No, we hate books. They have to say those words." You know, and yeah. uh, that's just what you did. That's how you do
0: the info op on them. Right. And so this is what my point is to you. It's like, you are, you are not unique. I I mean, you are, but you're not in that. I think others like you, like, like me have said, we have to understand the culture we're trying to influence because if you don't, if you don't understand it, you're going to simply mess things up to the point of where things fall apart catastrophically. Right. I mean, that's kind of what happened.
1: Yeah, and, and the, the thing I always tried to do is figure out their cultural path, and if I can accomplish yes. our goal on their path, well, exactly. then why, why wouldn't I? Like, why, why am I working so hard to invent something? They already have a way to do it.
0: And if yeah. they brought
1: a religious man in, and they're like, hey, by the way, that's code for Taliban. If they could bring a religious man in, and we could accomplish it on that path, and the Taliban's vouchsafing that path, hey, great, great, Wait, who cares? And I would yeah. tell the boss and be like, "Yeah, we got this done, and the Taliban signed off on it. All right, great, thanks." I mean, it's Taliban country, you know? Yeah. Why are we fighting that? You know, we're getting wins. Just the small wins are wins. Just stack wins and keep going forward.
0: So um, we got about three minutes left in this segment. I yeah. will continue the conversation after the break. But based on what we're talking about, and I again, you and I, I think, share this interest. We need to educate the public and the leadership on our mistakes. This was. Yeah. Well, I think uh, the tools, techniques, and procedures you and I are talking about are tried and true based on the the, the the George Washington intelligence concepts created during the Revolutionary War, they're still sound. The problem is, even with the best people trying to do a good job of actually creating and understanding the battlefield, if the commanders themselves don't seek to understand, it, there's a real problem with that, right? Boy, seek to understand
1: A magic words. And yeah. if I'm George, you know what I got? I got Pete with those Hessians, and and like Pete yeah. get those guys hammered, and, and, and not just lucking into that. Like it's set up. I guarantee right. you, he had a dude in there. I guarantee right. it. You yes. Know, deploy Pete because Pete can drink, and we're just gonna get, we're just I'm gonna get the commander hammered, and once the commander's drinking, everybody's drinking, and it all it just absolutely is what happened.
0: Yeah. And so, uh, and again, uh, you know, I, I like the fact that we're talking at the, at the tactical level because one of the things in Darkheart that I got in a lot of trouble for is because, you know, I was supporting a certain three-letter agency that does, you know, phones and stuff. I don't want to sure. say them because they'll get really upset. They always do. But p- my point is, is at one point we had to do essentially a, an unauthorized raid on the telecommunications center in Kabul because, you know, we knew where the information was at. And we basically did it on the spot without telling anybody, because first off, just going in and doing it sometimes gets it done. The rules were against it. But, Pete, I knew I would never get approval to do what was necessary to get the intelligence information for that commander at that point in time. And it's like, um, yeah, you, you, we, we appreciate it, but you should have authorized, asked for authorization. It's like, I would have never gotten it. Yeah, I would have never yeah. gotten the authorization. So, you know, yeah. what do you think?
1: I mean, uh, yeah, sometimes you go to your Afghan partner and you're like, if I was you, this is what." because, you know, the highest level of partnering is when your partner comes to you and says, Pete, you know, you're my advisor. And I'm like, yes, I am. How would you do this? And then, you know, you say something like, you know, the Americans can't get this kind of stuff done. You want to be audacious like the Americans. This is what I would do. And, you, and you're like, that's, you know, ask the Americans. Tell them. Matter of fact, order them to go do this with you and then lead the way. And then they they want to do that stuff, you know, yeah. and that's, you know, get the get the Afghans to believe in your advice and have them ask for it and then go do something with them like that. And they'll talk about that the rest of their lives.
0: Well, so that's so, the point.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. No. So Pete, and I think that's the issue is that we have so many people who have invested and think about, I don't want to get you. It's like we spent a trillion oh dollars, give or take on yeah. this war. And, and, yeah. and yet at the end of it, we fought the war one year at a time. It's like every year was in, oh, like, Oh, Oh, we're at war. It's like it was like it was new every year. It's like how did you not actually learn lessons? And I would argue because there was such arrogance, cultural arrogance in our own military, not being willing to accept the fact that hey, the Afghans don't see the world. One last note: we have to wrap it up for the first half. I was in a hospital up in at Walter Reed, and there was a Marine uh, kid. He was a lieutenant. Uh, He'd suffered massive. Uh, wounds from an IED explosion. And he was going through daily surgeries, Pete, to get all the shrapnel out. And on one of these patrols, and he, by the way, he was a fan. So one of my f- friends said, hey, he's a big fan of yours. Would you go see him? Pete, I walked into the hospital. I saw a a, a, a kid, eight, not, probably 19 years old, with no arms and legs. Like, oh God, just think of the sacrifice of these kids. So I went and saw this Marine Lieutenant and I'm sitting there with him and he's in pain. He's you know going through... And he had lost uh, three, three of his, 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 his Marines on that patrol. They, they were killed, and he survived. And we're going through and talking, and he looks at me and he says, uh, Colonel, we're not going to win this, are we? I said, uh, I don't know. And he said, I really thought we were the good guys. And I looked at him, I said, I know we, we are, but they don't see us that way. They, they, they have a different view when you're running around with weapons through their countryside and i'm not saying we weren't i'm saying their perception of who we are is not the same as our perception what do you say
1: yeah i um uh, the biggest thing i learned in the entire time i did all this stuff was one of the governors i was working with said pete there's only room for one sword in the scabbard and luckily the cap, the commander i worked with the colonel he's like all right he's the boss let's do it yeah. let's follow his plan but we were leaving and um we didn't have enough time to implement anything of substance into that plan. And then USAID yeah. failed him, and just failure after failure. So here we finally got the courage to follow this guy's plan. And you were too inept, and you were too gone to
0: do it. Yeah, well, let's, talk, let's pick it up on the second half of yeah. the show. We'll be right back with the second half of The Heart Truths of Tony Shaper, sponsored by Six Hour. Never settle. We'll be right back.
1: Who's got time for a nasal invasion messing up your lifestyle? Crush those nasties before they become a problem. For a limited time, when you add the new CoFixRx throat spray to your order with the coupon code OUTLOUD, you'll receive 20% off the entire purchase. Go to AmericaOutloud.shop. That's AmericaOutloud.shop and use coupon code OUTLOUD. Use CoFixRx
2: because it works. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to AmericaOutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global
0: healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Asia believes that inside each of us is the potential to feel our very best. Our customers will tell you how our products have made a difference for them. From improving immune health and supporting gut health to reducing the appearance of wrinkles and even improving mind, mood, and energy. Make our breakthrough products an essential step in fulfilling your greatest potential. Asia, we power potential. For exclusive savings, use code OUTLOUD to save 15% off your first order today. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being Above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to outloudcare.com today and use code. Out Loud, for 25% off your first month of One Wellness.
2: Cardiovascular disease is the leading cause of death and disability. Lifestyle changes are critical,
1: but you can also support your heart with concentrated nutrients. Healthy Cell created heart and vascular health to support cholesterol and blood pressure with CoQ10, vitamin K2, resveratrol, and soluble fiber. And Healthy Cell's not a pill. It's a patent-pending gel you swallow. Get heart healthy. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. HealthyCell.com, code out loud for 25% off.
0: Many voices, one freedom, united in the First Amendment. Our goal is to herald the voice of genuine liberty at AmericaOutloud.news a place where you'll find the naked truth expressed with a patriotic heart. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. this is the hard truth part two with tony shaper still sponsored by six hour never settle i had a choice of what i carried in combat i always carried the best in this case i carried the m11 just saying uh i suggest you carry the best carry six hour never settle uh we're on the america out loud podcast network and radio network uh check us out uh, project sentinel.net.com and we're on facebook twitter youtube rumble and etc etc and by the way happy valentine's day to our uh esteemed colleague sheree curry who does our our theme and bumper music yeah uh, she always does a great job for us uh chainsawchick.com if you want to check out some of the stuff she does mm-hmm. uh always a uh, great Cherie, we love you and uh, we appreciate everything you do to help us uh and what we do to educate the public so and I obviously for those watching i'm wearing a t-shirt of she and her sister marie so there you go uh, so here we go and um we're still joined the second half of the show with Pete Turner, Army Counterintelligence. I'm a big fan of Army Counterintelligence since I used to be one myself, and uh, Pete's been helping uh, educate us and our audience on all the uh, the challenges. I guess Pete is the best way to put it regarding uh, uh, the the profession we we've chosen to follow. And now we're joined, uh, part two of the show, with uh, the uh, the extremist Chris Cordani. And the elongated uh, from having to vacuum, uh, Elizabeth Breckencamp. We'll oh leave my it, we'll gosh! Leave yeah. So there hello. you go. Hello. Hello. Well, say say hello to the audience.
2: Chris, you're on mute. Hello.
0: Chris, there he is. I'm good. I'm good. Howdy I
2: from think. Virginia.
0: Ah uh, yes,
3: uh, good old Virginia. And of course, elongated like Ralph Dibney. There we go.
0: That's right. That's right. So. <laughs> elongation is a good thing especially if you're going into a black hole you know you just get strung out right
2: right? wow
0: so all kinds (laughs) of
2: science stuff okay
0: (laughs) so we're back with pete so Pete, we were just talking about kind of the the knuckleheadery we have uh in dealing with commanders on the battlefield and at the end i think they finally got it it was a little bit too late obviously and um one of the things that i mentioned before we went to the break was the blood and treasure that I personally had to witness at Walter Reed, where, you know, we had these young kids going out on these combat patrols, literally being Mm. uh, blown to bits, having to go through this. And yet I think it was avoidable. What do you think?
1: You know, and I'll stick on the Marines for a second. You know, they were spoiling for a fight. And I I know guys that worked with them and, and, you know, like, hey, I'm a targeting officer. I'm going to target someone. I don't get rated to not target people. And so they would target people. And yeah. I don't know how many times they killed the wrong person and went out and got themselves into fights. And it, it, I used to bounce, right? And if you are a bouncer that fights people, you have a bar that has fights in it. And so the same kind of rule applies. If you are trying to stabilize a government and get people to believe in that government, if you're focused on getting into combat, guess what? Nobody's going to believe in the government. You, it's too hard to do both of those things. Yeah. Either you're fighting or you're stabilizing. And the, and the bottom line rule is is when we show up, we're a net destabilizer. No matter what yeah. we try to do, we destabilize. And, and we hate that. We refuse to accept that reality. And so we never get to the to the, the lowest common denominator of we are destabilizing things. So how do you stabilize stuff? Sometimes you got to fight, right? Sometimes you have to fight. But until we accept that we're a net destabilizer, we can't work on solving that
0: part of the puzzle. In Operation Darkheart, I'll open this up to the other members in a second, but I want to make this comment. We were using something Pete called effects-based operations (EBO). Now Jim Mattis trashed it. I have my issues with Jim. Jim was wrong about this. Jim threw it at the baby mm-hmm. with the with the bath water. Uh, I could just say that, you know. And uh, Jim, if you're listening, you screwed up big time. But we'll talk about that separately. <laughs> so um, regarding effects-based operations, we were at the time, and again, this is all documented in Darkheart. We were focused on three-week cycles of effect are our, our operations, the full spectrum, everything from civil engagement to, to, to precise use of military force being effective in stabilizing the government and helping support the institutions being being successful. That is the Afghan institutions. And so w- what we would do, Pete, is make sure that we limited, limited the combat operations to those only absolutely necessary and only going after key targets, not trying to pick fights. And um, one of the notable things is Within the context of that, it, it, it took, to your point, time. You weren't rapidly trying to go out and just knock things over. You were taking deep breaths. You were examining the battle space for what it is, not what you want it to be. And we were actually having good progress. And, oh, by the way, we were limited. We had to do this because we didn't have a lot of force. In, right. On all of Afghanistan in 03, we had like 11,000 people. It's like it was great because you did. You weren't tempted to turn to the to the gun. It's like, yeah, we don't have enough anyway. Let's focus on being smart. Let's play this as a chess game. And I would argue less is more in an environment like that, because next thing you know, uh, we people want to come in and make it a counterinsurgency. It's like, that's not our job. It's like the Afghan people know that they're, they're not ungoverned, they're self-governed, are coming in to, to push upon them a central government. that's There's no tradition for that. I mean, Hamid Karzai was known, as you probably know, Pete, as the mayor of Kabul, even though he was the president, because most people didn't care. The Afghan people never accepted a central democracy as a premise of their governance because there was no tradition. And yet somehow we became the praetor- Praetorian guard for Karzai. A- am I being over the top here? or What do you think?
1: There's a couple things I want to say about that. There's also the affect with an A, the response, the emotional response to stimuli, right? We never measured that. and So we were trying to win hearts and minds, but the government needs that trust. They need that responsibility. So if you can't reliably create that affect, and I know people hate affect in that sense, but that's absolutely what you have to do. So if you can't make that farmer approach the government and say, I have a problem, how do I solve it? Then you are not creating a government, right? right? And, And so we never think in that way. Like, no, 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 we want them to trust us. Like, no, 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 like, the government has to be fledgling. And if you can't make a government fledgling, then you can't get it to where, where it can possibly ever thrive, right? And so we missed that entire opportunity because we didn't do affects. And we would show up, we would measure something, and then we'd leave. Pete would go back a week later and say, what happened here a week ago? I couldn't find a trace of any affect at all. Has the government ever done anything? Yeah, that guy over there, he bought a goat for me and never paid for it. That is an affect. There's anger towards whatever it might be the government." And it owes money. How do we get money to this guy? And I would often follow the, the money. Like, we would get into a, a gunfight. And I'd go talk to the chief of police. How do you guys get provisions? Oh, well, we, we write a request, and it goes up. So I would follow the request up. Uh, I'll make this story short. So, the, one of the times I did it, an American killed the request. Why? Because that guy was tied, the chief of police was tied to the Taliban. But we're in Taliban country. <laughs> Just let the government work and see if those bullets will come back down when he requests it. But an American, an NCO who didn't even know this dude, killed the request. How can the government work if an American is going to stomp on a request and not provide something? Somebody who's, who's miles and miles and miles from the government center, right? right. So these kind of things undermine everything, and, and that affect. Now that chief of police is like, see, I told you, none of this stuff works. Now he believes that affect is powerful. He believes his own government doesn't work, and he's in the damn
2: government.
0: Yeah, yeah. Elizabeth, anything you want to ask?
2: Um, it's a little bit um, off the side of that. Not exactly referring to that, but it just made me think when I was in the army, and um, and I was in Iraq. Since I was there as a journalist, um, I remember doing stories about the. You know, when you're in Iraq, Afghanistan like you're talking about earlier about, you know, you don't throw the Quran in the fire, you know, cultural, you you take all the cultural sensitivity awareness training. And I remember when I was there, when I was in Iraq, 2006, 2007, learning about the female cultural support teams and the female engagement teams. And I'm sure you know about that because it was the Marine Corps who had initiated that program. And I thought, what a cool thing to do. Because obviously, when you're in a Muslim country and you have um, a guy, you know, the male soldiers, the male Marines, and they want to they want to engage, they're not allowed to talk to the women. And I thought, what a cool idea. And so I was wondering, in all your experiences, did you ever have any kind of um, uh, interaction with that? And what was your experience with that? Because I don't remember exactly when you were in.
1: I have probably the most professional opinion about this it's uh, that you will find and you're not going to like what I'm about to say I've a peer-reviewed published paper we did not take that task seriously we did not develop professional uh, skills in that the commanders okay. were never trained on how to deploy that it was a side task and uh, when I talked to professional people who were anthropologists who were actually like what does it take to develop that capacity here, here was their professional advice don't like, how long does it take to develop that capacity to go engage women in other cultures? Just other cultures, not that culture, any culture. And they said, never. Military people will never be able to develop that culture, that, that capacity. So don't ever do it. It's inappropriate to ever do it. And then, this is before we left Afghanistan. So I, I called this person back after we Afghanistan. And she's like, this is why you can never do it. You can never know the harm you will do. Nobody will take it seriously. And so it's absolutely inappropriate, dangerous, and you cannot do it. And so that's the answer right there is huh. if you're going to do these things, it is unethical. And, and there's a thing where when we try to go out and do things, we reach a point of ethical saturation and you take on all these things, what, whatever it is, farming, rule of law, uh, female engagement. And look, I'm not in any way against women, right? What I'm against- No, I got
2: you what you're saying. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm against doing things in a way that's going to harm people. Right. So we, we go to a village, we, we send our women out who aren't trained. I, I swear to God, I had this conversation. We're all in the, in the staff room and the, <laughs> the commander's like, we got to do some female engagement. And the Sergeant major, who's a dude, he's like, Oh, we'll get Miller to do it. She's a female. Next thing you know, there's Miller, and two other women going out and they're engaging and what are they doing? They're, they're inventing the, uh, the period and taking uh, tampons out to women in, in the Afghan village. That is, that is not in any way an appropriate thing. And no one would, no one in California would want that to happen. I mean, if some Afghan women showed up and said, here's how you do feminine hygiene. They, they have an answer for that already. But we're
2: so,
1: we're so disconnected from reality that we don't do what we're supposed to do. So in theory, yes. By the way, uh, some of those uh, female assets were there to collect intel. And again-
2: Right, no exactly.
1: Yeah, no credentials to do that. So. That's the answer is we don't take that stuff seriously,
2: so we don't get to do it. Right, because one one thing I do remember about the female engagement teams was that they're all volunteers. Nobody made them do it, you know, but it's like, hey, we want to put this. And so, yeah, I think in theory it it sounded good. Like, yeah, let's have the females speak with the females. But I hadn't even thought about that until you said that. But that makes sense because, yeah, what if if Korea comes to um, our country and tries to teach us how to – I don't know. Like do something they back, they do in Korea. for the black eyes and all that stuff.
1: Right. Nobody, yeah. does. nobody ever goes back. Right.
2: Exactly. The follow up. Yeah. How do you really make it successful and how do you know it's successful? And yeah, yeah. I know who that makes sense.
1: And says, Hey, shakes, Hey, tribal elders, we want to talk to the women and, and just like get a feel for what happens. Cause they're in charge of these women. They're the ones that have to make sure that they don't get their Like, you know, like there's tribal, <laughs> there's honor killings in this, in this culture. Right. Yeah, And so we don't go talk to the people that are responsible for the honor killings and say, how do we appropriately do this? And then ask them. Yeah. We don't start there. Right. That's
2: a good point. That's a yeah. really good
3: point. Well, you bring an extra, bring a manual with you or something like that. Maybe they can just teach you uh, how, how to go about that the right way. Just how to hold the knife in a certain direction. Yes. I guess. But yeah, that, that's what the engagement will be all Look, about.
2: I have a manual. Let me hand it to you. <laughs> yeah. It's translated, it's transcribed and everything. Anyway. Yeah.
3: yeah. It's very kind of you for that. But it is that <laughs> time. It is that time. We're gonna be getting Uh-oh. Tony's takes here. That's right. It's always a lot of fun. Here we are, and I'm glad Yay. you're here, Pete. You're gonna join us for this one. This is Tony's Tony. Takes, and it's powered by Sig Sauer Never Settle. You saw Never Tony's you saw what Tony was carrying today. And if you want to check that out again, of course you can find that on the America Out Loud Talk Radio M11. Network, the M eleven. Yeah. And you can also find us here on AmericaOutLoud.news. And yes, we'll have our video version on YouTube a little bit later on. Well, let's get to this one. This is the big story. I'm um, hoping Pete will come back for this. I think he is. So let's, uh, let's pull him back in before I make a little move here. But the big story, of course, is Pete Mayorkas. He is gone. He's out. He's, no, actually, he's not going out quite yet. We are, a lot of people are hoping so. Fact is, impeached does not mean such. However, by a one-vote margin, the House Republicans did have the guts to do that. What are the chances, however, Tony, the Senate will follow through and toss them?
0: So, it, it, it's, it, Mayorkas misunderstood. He thought they meant impeached and like he's going to Atlanta to be part of the, the Peach Orchard Festival. Uh, the so the Festival. So, so, uh, the secretary is, is, uh, just fine. He doesn't understand he's been impeached. He thinks it's all about Georgia peaches because, right. you know, he's a big fan of, of, of Fanny Willis. Fanny, Fanny is that her name? You know. Fanny, Fanny Willis. Yes. Fanny, yeah. I, th- I think, uh, he's going to be impeaching her. If you know what I mean, just saying. Oh, oh boy. Ouch. Yeah. He's a peach, isn't he? He's a peach. Ooh, By the way, hard. uh, shout out to, uh, the Kevin Spacey Lex Luthor. I think, uh, I think if they decide to bring back Superman, I think Majorcas could be a better uh, Lex Luthor than, than Kevin Spacey. Oh. Is-
3: no, he still couldn't beat that. out John Cryer. Nope, not happening. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here's another one. <laughs> here's one for all of you. Let's toss this one up. I'm from New York, so I thought I'd have a little fun with this one. As you know, there was that uh, George Santos seat up for grabs. Oh, gosh. All right. Now, Democrat Tom Suozzi won. He beat former, uh, he, he beat Mozzie who was a relative unknown, uh, then thins out the slim majority in Congress. Mike Johnson, however, was unfazed. He was, he's taking the Alfred E. Newman approach, the what me worry thing. Okay. That's his philosophy. I can see
0: his point, but what's your take, Tony? So I think George Santos' mistake was he didn't have a lot of gold bullion, uh, from, uh, uh, Egyptian sources available to him to bribe his fellow members of Congress. I think that was his mistake. Mm -hmm. That makes sense because i mean oh, since I like mendez mendez apparently was able to spread around the wealth in the senate because he's just fine even though they have uh, actually indicted him with far more evidence of corruption mm-hmm. yes george santos was a liar he's a he deceived people he did went about trying to basically establish a personality that wasn't his Gee, that's like 90 percent of freaking congress for God's sake. yeah
2: i was just thinking I, the same thing well, why, why are other people not kicked out
3: But There was no conviction. That's the, that's the key. I'm not a big fan of Santos either, but there was no conviction. And that's where the, that's where the problem lies. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, So, but But again, let's go back to Mendez for one second. I mean, Mendez is in the same boat and he's not resigned nor has the Senate moved to kick him out. And I think there's credible evidence that even John Fetterman, who, you know, is one step left of, uh, of, uh, you know, you ever notice he looks like the monster in, uh, uh, the the thing with Gene Wilder, what was that movie? Oh, well, young, uh, young Frankenstein. Frankenstein. Yeah, <laughs> on the Ritz, you know. Oh gosh, did Taco did it... help produce that? By the way, hmm. no, I don't, I don't think, think so. We should no, ask no, Taco no. about that. Yeah, I
3: think he was inspired by that uh, particular. He movie was
0: inspired by... by the the monster. That's right. No wonder. That's right. I, I want. Sorry, I wanna... Pete. Pete uh, Taco's Pete... one of our friends, by the way. who did yeah. putting on the Ritz. So, yes, he's a he's a
3: cool fellow. Uh, one, one cool thing guy. I want to say about Mozzie Pillop, the the woman who ran against uh, Tom Swansea, Swansea ran a filthy campaign. I, I mean, he just jumped on this woman, used a partial quote from her about one about being against abortion. Her full quote was, "She wanted." Well, I'm paraphrasing, you know, but the full quote was, "She is against abortion." Then the, the the after that was personally, I wouldn't force it on anybody else. But he was trying to scare the constituents in a mostly uh, liberal area. But uh-huh. uh, uh, and and again, she she was a, she's a uh, county legislator in Nassau. She did a pretty good job campaigning, but she didn't really emphasize some of the cool things she did. Do you really? She was a gunner in a, in a in, in the Israeli army for the for one of the paratrooper oh, no. divisions. Yeah. She, was born, wow. she was An Ethiopian Jew See, born if in. I had Bo- known that. Poverty.
2: I would have voted for her. I would have just move to New York just so I could vote for her. She was
3: Ethi- she was an Ethiopian Jew born in poverty and brought to wow. uh, Israel. And uh, I don't forget what the campaign name was, but. Uh, and, and then she, she, again, she filled her obligation in the army. I mean, she was a, she was a gunner in the, um, a gun, wow. yeah, a, a, it was a gunner or something in the, in the paratroopers division. I mean, and, and she's absolutely amazing. She has a, she has a master's degree. The woman's amazing, but never really got to put that out. She, she, wow. she said she's a fighter. She's a mother and tried to be appealing to the people. Didn't really show off her qualifications. So partially on her, partially on Swazi's friends, dirty campaign against her. That was a big loss.
2: She needs a better PR person, yeah.
0: Yeah, Chris, go work for her.
3: I think so. I, I, I'd help her out. Are you kidding? I can make her president. There we go.
2: There you no, no. go. What do you think, Pete?
3: What do you think?
1: Oh, my gosh. I just, you know, I, I have no idea. You know what? I, I try to worry about my own representative and, and make sure that I get represented. That's honestly, like, where I focus my thing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's that's hard enough to do anything. It's Yeah, you know, I, mm. I don't know. I don't have any comment on New York politics. It's just none of my business. Honestly. That's
3: Okay. <laughs> Well, you might like this one. Here we go. Okay. All right, here you go. Uh, let's say Biden, right. a feeble old man who can't be prosecuted. Why did Robert, don't call me Ben Hur, decide and not prosecute Joe Biden over his mishandling of classified documents and in the way he described it? Was it, Tony, because he knew the DOJ would not move forward anyway and he wanted an out, playing on sympathies towards elderly people losing memory? Or, or... Was it a poke at Biden to taint his ill-advised campaign for re-election?
0: What's your take? Are you talking to me? Oh, you're uh, talking to me. Oh, it's a joke, Chris. I don't drive a good. I'm trying camp. to be Joe Biden. Oh, I so, to um, be- <laughs> did you? Huh? Did I miss <laughs> I my mark? Wrong movie.
3: <laughs> oh
0: my god! I, I have a take <laughs> on this. Can
1: I jump in and say my thing? Yes, please, please, Pete. If I was an adversarial counterintelligence agent towards the U.S., I would have a field day. I'd go to my boss. I'd go to my boss, Tony, and be like, hey, man, I just need a little bit of money. Congress cannot protect its secrets. I'm just going to go bonkers and have a career. Tony's going to say, have all the money you want, and I'm going to set up a network because these people cannot hold themselves accountable, and they love money. That's oh, yeah. what I'm saying about all of mm-hmm. this. They cannot hold themselves accountable.
0: That's a good so, point, yeah. No, and it's good. I mean, Chris, it wasn't all bad because, I mean, uh, I think it's cool that uh, apparently Joe Biden can't tell the difference between mariachis and spin dancers. And there is a difference. Not much, but, you know, there's a little bit oh of Oh, my gosh.
3: Let, let's put it this way. I believe that this whole thing says more about Kamala Harris than it says about anybody else, even President Biden. Any other circumstance, oh. Biden would be told to take or, or oh, a rest or give a yeah. pleasant retirement. But yeah. nobody, I don't think anybody in the nation, Democrats and Republicans alike, think this woman can do the job.
2: That's Chris. Awesome. That's why I, I got to I gotta
0: stop you right yeah. there. How do you know she's a woman? Because the Democrats don't define people as and by gender. So I'm just asking for our audience. Do, do you have hard proof, so to speak? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not one of her former bosses. So I wouldn't you know. didn't go on a cruise with her like in the Bahamas or something. No, I, I'm just asking. So <laughs> I don't know these things. So, you know, no, oh, no not at all. All right. All right, Chris. Is that, right, is, one is more. that it? Or we have more.
3: One more. One more quick one, just for fun. One more. Best game show host announcer. I'm going with Johnny Olson.
0: Gene uh, Rayburn,
3: all the way. Oh, he's host. I'm talking about um, the, yeah, announcer. Right, think, the, uh, the announcer. I think from are, behind the scenes that's right. Price is Right, but I can't think of his name. That's the same guy, Olson, Johnny Olson. Oh, thank you. Yes,
0: yeah, him. Why don't you go with host? I like hoster better because you could you go through Richard Dawson and uh, Gene Rayburn. And uh, who was the other guy? There was a bunch of like announcers. Wink Martindale. There we Wink go. Martindale. Wink Martindale. Mm-hmm. You know he's still oh, yeah, around. Yeah. He's winking. Wink. Art Fleming.
3: Don't forget Art Fleming. Wink. Alan I had, Ludden.
1: I had John Davidson on my show. He was a he was a good game show host. Was he? he was a good Ooh. guy. Yeah. Oh, how cool.
3: Bob Eubanks. Uh, Bob Eubanks.
0: Bob uh, Eubanks.
2: Oh, Bobby. Yeah. Dick Clark hosted some shows.
0: Dick did. Yeah. He it, was it, to, to it was, be on the like a hundred thousand dollar pyramid or something, yeah, right? Yeah,
3: yeah. I, I I'm so old. I knew when it, when it was a ten thousand dollar pyramid.
0: <laughs> That's right. Oh gosh. All right. So Chris, this is a question for you. Who's better, Gene Rayburn, or um, I just mentioned him. Uh, he played uh, what's his name on uh, the match? Was the match? No. Kevin Spacey? No, no, no. Hmm. I just mentioned his name because he was on Hogan's Heroes. Um. Oh, Richard, oh, Richard Dawson. Law. Dawson? Yeah, Richard. Who's Richard, better, Richard Dawson, Dawson or uh? Rayburn. I'm I'm going with Rayburn because he got
3: away with more on air. Not not he didn't do the kissing, but he got away with a lot more cool stuff
0: on air. That's true.
2: He had much cooler outfits too. <laughs>
0: and Kirstie Alley was I'm on joking. his game show. I miss Kirstie. You know, I boy talk oh, about. Yeah. Her. i liked her a lot. So who huh. could ever forget Regis Philbin as a game yeah. show host? Right, yeah. oh, Reg the Reg. <laughs>
2: I already did for speaking
0: Chris, Chris uh, not that you're like the Re but it's time to wrap it up like the Re would right <laughs> he had cool ties that's about it he did <laughs> he did so well that's it're we're we're, we're we're another episode is in the can so to speak and the good can not the bad can right can right Chris <laughs> no
3: comment I, I I'm gonna get in trouble for that
0: one <laughs> no, after all all right so hey well pete thanks for being a good sport joining us uh, to help educate our audience i'd like to have you back to continue this discussion at some point i'd like to join you on your show at some point if you'd like we're gonna do it That'd and then fun. um we'll, we'll go continue this conversation elizabeth uh, thank you for being here and being Ooh. elongated uh, don't stay away from those black holes don't vacuum anything that may be a black hole just saying you know Got don't it. disturb the, the status of the universe and then chris thank you for being here as always and uh, and uh, get a better suit next time you should look more like gene raven bro. Mm-hmm. I, it, it will happen next time. I'll wear the leisure right. suit. How about that? <laughs> We're the leisure suit. Yeah, that's... Anyway, so that's it for this week's yeah. Hard Truth. We'll be back next week again. We'll see you then. Thanks for being here.